Good morning. Good morning. The um, brother Kevin is, of course, with the group in Gulf Shores. They're on their travels back, and um, he asked me to to fill his spot this morning, and I am absolutely honored to do so. If you would like, you can be opening your Bible to the book of First Timothy, chapter four. First Timothy, chapter four. And starting in verse 12. Yes, chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Tim, I didn't just do your notes wrong. I done mine wrong too. We're going to start in verse 12 in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 4. This is um, Paul's writings to, to Timothy. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Let us pray. Father and our God, once again we humbly bow before you this morning to thank you for the opportunity to be in your house and be in your word. I thank you, Father, for the message that you've given me to deliver this morning. I pray that everything I say will be your words and nothing of myself, none of my opinions. Father, I'm just so grateful and so honored to stand before your people this morning. And I pray, Father, that you have your will and your way in everything that's said and done. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. Be an example to the believers. For some people, that, um, that youth part of things may apply and may not this morning. You may be young physically, you may be young at heart, you may be young in the Word. But the second part of that verse counts anyway. For us to be an example to the believers applies to every one of us. And the ways that it applies, Paul lists it out in word. Be an example. In word, be an example to the believers. In the words that you choose to use, the way that they come out of your mouth, the words that you use as a believer should not match up with the words that the people of this world use as unbelievers. There should be a difference in the words that you choose to use. You shouldn't use profanities. You shouldn't talk in slander about other people. You shouldn't gospel about others. Be an example to the believers in word. Let's look at some examples of that. Go with me to James chapter 1. James 1, 26.
James 1, 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. If you can't bridle your tongue, your religion is useless. I heard somebody say not long ago, it's a very true statement that I've used a whole lot here lately. You can't always tell what a man believes by what he says. But you can tell what a man believes by what he does. How he acts. Amen? You can say one thing and not really believe that. But the way you act is what you really believe. It's obvious to everybody around you. Be an example to the believers in word. James 3, 3 through 12. James 3, 3 through 12. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Did you see what was said about the tongue? <laughs> Do you see the importance of being able to bridle your tongue? of being able to control the things that you say. Be an example to the believers in word. The words that come out of your mouth say a lot about who you are. The Bible says, out of the heart the mouth speaks. <laughs> your words, they're like bullets out of a gun. If you point that gun and pull that trigger, that bullet's gone and the damage is done. Whatever's at the other end of that barrel, it's the damage is done. Words out of your mouth are the same way. When you point it at somebody and pull the trigger on it, the damage is done. All you can do now is damage control and hope that you can put the pieces back together. James said we control the whole body of a horse with a bridle and a bit in his mouth. This whole body of believers is controlled by its tongue. When you leave out of here as a member of Wells Baptist Church, you represent this whole body of believers. And the words that fall out of your mouth reflect on all of us. I would thank you to keep your mouth shut if you can't say good stuff. Because you're making me look bad. Amen? 
Bridle your tongues. Carefully choose the words. I know people that the whole time you're talking to them, they're thinking about a response. They're listening. And before they speak, if you ever have a conversation with Kirby where you go to him for advice, there's a good chance that he's not going to give you advice right now. That he's going to think on it. Because he takes very serious the words that come out of his mouth. And then there's people like me. If that thing just sits up there and flaps all the time. You know what I mean, don't you, Bill? We have to control our tongue. Be an example to the believers in word. In word. In word. And what's next? In conduct. Thank you, Kanitha. <clears throat> Be an example in conduct. The way you act is a direct reflection of what you believe. People are watching you, looking at you. Be an example in conduct. The places you frequent, the places you go, how you carry yourself, how you respond to trials and tribulations. In conduct, be an example. Let's look at some of that. Romans 6, 1 through 7. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. The way you act, does it reflect that scripture? Are you dead to sin or are you living in sin? The way you act, your conduct, the way you handle yourself, the words out of your mouth, the way you carry yourself. We, we had a little bit of experience, uh, me and Amanda and Mom and Dad and Sean and Elizabeth loaded up yesterday evening and went over to Olive Garden in uh, Spring Hill. And we had this fellow that was our waiter. And, and he started off, walked up to the, to the table cracking jokes, you know, trying to establish a relationship with us first thing. The first thing he did was walked up and said, how, how, Hello, how are y'all doing? And my sister said, we're fine, how are you? He said, hey, you're good at this. And she just kind of looked at him with this silly look on her face. Yeah, like that. <laughs> and he said, you understand this is conversational ping pong. And a lot of people won't play. I'll walk up to the table and say, hi, how are you? And they'll go, we're fine. And he said, they just took my ball and put it in their pocket. But you responded. 
And, and he kept going all night. He would come back and he would. He brought me the wrong drink and and I just craziness. All night he was doing something to carry on conversation to establish a relationship with us. Now I didn't really want to go to Olive Garden. Okay, just to start with, because I had to preach today. I didn't want to be out all night. We had a wedding to go to, and they was doing reception and all this stuff. And I said, if we can't get gone from Pulaski by 5 o'clock, I'm out. I can't go. i got to stay home. i got to get my stuff, my mind settled. i got to get everything ready, zeroed in. I can't go. So I really didn't really want to go anyway, okay? So me and my feller Scott, he's been all night back and forth, and, and, and he gave left the check, and it got paid. It <laughs> wasn't by me. And... Um, <laughs> Thanks, Big Daddy. And um, he come to bring us our receipt, and he stood there beside me. And we had done had the conversation about church today and all this stuff. And, and he looked at me, and he said, Do you mind if I pray with you before y'all leave? Because I told him I'd be preaching this morning. He said, Can I pray with you before y'all leave? I said, Absolutely. And this guy sat down. Amanda had gotten up to go to the little girl's room, and she missed out on all this. <laughs> Poor thing. And he sat down in Amanda's seat, and he started praying. And I don't mean, no, thank you, God, for this family. Be with them, bless them, I love you. No, I'm talking about a heartfelt poured out to God on my behalf for this message this morning kind of prayer. His conduct showed me who he was. I know what Scott stands for, not because I've known him all my life. I know what Scott stands for because of his conduct over a period of about 30, 45 minutes worth. Whether you know it or not, even when you don't sit down and pray with people, it's speaking that loud to other people the way you carry yourself. At work, at home, at Walmart, it speaks that loud. You see, I walked away from Scott Talking about what a great feller and a good man of God he is. What are people saying when they walk away from you? In conduct, be an example. Because whether you want it this way or not, it's the way it is. It's just how it is. Whether you signed up for it or not, when you, when you agreed to be Christ-like, you fall into the category of people's watching. And you know what? When you walk out of Wells Baptist Church as a member of Wells Baptist Church, you are a direct reflection of all of us. All of so For some of you will come in contact with people that I will never come in contact with. I don't have the opportunity for them to know who I am and what a great guy I am. So if you walk out of here with a lousy attitude and come in contact with those people, and have a conversation about Wales Baptist Church, guess what they think about me? I know it's not true, and you know it's not true. The Bible says, be an example to the believers in conduct. The way you handle yourself, the way you handle situations, the words you use, and the things you do, be an example. Let's move on. What's next? In love, be an example in love. Go with me, as if we could avoid this and still talk about love, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
Let me, let me add just a little bit to this. First Corinthians, while you're getting to 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Um, the harder you try because, um, to take, back, take us back over the last few weeks of what Brother Kevin's been preaching about putting on the full armor of God, about fighting off the wiles of the devil, about standing, about withstanding, about doing all you can do to stand. The harder you try to do what's right, the harder Satan attacks through different methods. He'll talk you into coming to church just once a year. Y'all heard me last week invite them all back. I told them we'd be open this Sunday too, right? They didn't make it, did they? They couldn't overcome, could they? Now, some of them, what happened was, is they seen, now they got misled, but they seen somewhere that our services was going to be early and we was going to start at 1030. And they said, we're going to go there. Because if they start at 1030, Eddie, no, 930, 930, if they start at 930, we'll be out by 1030. And they chose to come here because of the time. Now, they were fooled. <laughs> They were misled because people got out of church all over town before they did. But others in that group, in that large number of people where you have to pull out extra chairs, in that group there are people who know better. And they choose not to. You see what's happening for them is Satan is winning in their life. The harder you try to do what's right, the harder it's going to be to do it. When you set in your mind today, I'm going to church next Sunday, it's an automatic, I'm going to be there next Sunday morning, because a lot of those folks said that last week. When they left here, they sincerely thought that they would be back this Sunday morning. They did. But Satan has ripped at them and tore at them and pulled them away from here. All week long, he's been working at it. You had to overcome something to get here this morning, I guarantee you, whether you realize it or not. Because it's not natural for you to desire to be here. You have to work at it. And the harder you work at doing what's right, the harder Satan's going to pull and tug and try to drag you back to what's wrong. You can write it down. It's going to be that way. It's going to be that way. So all this stuff I'm telling you, the harder you try to be an example in word... <laughs> the more stupid's going to fall out of your mouth or going to want to. You've got to control it. You've got to take control of your own actions, your own conduct. The harder you try to be that example in your conduct, the harder it's going to be, the more opportunities Satan's going to offer you to do exactly opposite of that. It's a constant battle. It's spiritual warfare. But you have the power to overcome. I guarantee you, you do. You're going to have to dig down and get after it, but it's there. We're going we're gonna to now be an example in love. This one's tough. Because the love that the Bible speaks of ain't that same kind of love. You know, I say, uh, whoever was translating and writing the English language got lazy in some places. You take the word right. How many different meanings can you think of for the word right? Well, the first thing you'll know is how I'm spelling it, right? Right. I can think of four on my own, and I'm a dummy. I mean, you can write a note. You can write a wrong. 
You can turn right. Amen? Y'all still with me? Look at the word love. Now you talk about lazy on a word. Somebody got lazy. Because I love ice cream. Amen? I love my wife. I love my dog. I love to hunt. I love Miss Shirley. I love Jesus. God loves me. Do all of those words mean the same thing? It's all the same word. Somebody got lazy. So when we start talking about being an example in love, we're talking about the kind of love that God is talking about. And this is the one of the things, not the only, but one of the things that God spelled out for us in His Word. There is no doubt in my mind what God is talking about when He says love. Because in Second Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, He gives us a very vivid image, a plain, broke-down description of what He's talking about when He says love. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up kind of love. Does not behave rudely. What? That's not the same kind of love I've seen. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. What? Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Is not glad when you fail. Is not glad when you sin. Is not happy to see that you got what you deserve. Let me tell you something. I don't want no part of what I deserve. If God starts handing out what I deserve, I'm in trouble. Therefore, I can't hand out what you deserve. I can't celebrate when you get what you deserve. That's not love. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. My favorite part is next. The very first sentence in 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Love never fails. It ain't a sometime kind of... Remember when you was in school, and I know I'm the only one. Y'all are sitting with your wives. You don't have to agree with this, okay? When you was in school... And you'd get that, you, you had that girl. That, that, that girl that you, you just wanted her to be your girlfriend. Or that boy that you wanted to be your boyfriend for the ladies. And you, you got that note, will you be my, and you had the boxes at the bottom, yes or no. Amen. And, and you'd give it to them and they'd give it back. And sometimes mine had a new box added and it said maybe. <laughs> But sometimes, sometimes it just said yes. And then tomorrow, there was that other girl. <laughs> or that other. It ain't that kind of love that comes and goes. That ain't the kind of love we're talking about. I'm talking about the kind of love that never fails. In other words, if it ever goes away, that means it was never really there. Because true love never fails. So if you stop loving it, that means it wasn't real love to start with. Amen? Because true love never fails, no matter what's happening. We're supposed to be an example to the believers in that kind of love. The kind of love that does not fail. 
The kind of love that endures all things, believes all things. The kind of love that does not envy, does not celebrate in your iniquities. That kind of love. An example of that in front of people. So that when they look at you, they go, I can't believe. After all such and such did to him or her, they're still able to love on them like that. That kind of love. That's the kind of love that God wants us to show. Be an example in love. In love, be an example. What's next? In spirit. Galatians 5, 16 to 18. Be an example in spirit. This one's pretty fun. Galatians 5, 16, and 16 through 18. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill it. Full. Easy for you to say. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Stop right there. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now, if we go to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, that there's a list there of the things that are called the fruits of the Spirit. There's nine of them. If you read above that, in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, you see a list of things that God says will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. There are things you want to avoid. If you're walking in the Spirit, then you are not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. That lust of the flesh is a natural thing that resides in every one of us. You have to battle it. You have to fight it. You have to push it off. You have the power to do that only through Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can fight that stuff off. But you can fight it off. Through the power in Him, you can fight it off. So if you are walking in the... How do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit? If I'm not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. If Eddie comes up here and slaps me in the face and I punch him in the nose right back, that ain't, that ain't fruits of the Spirit. I'm not walking in the Spirit. I just fulfilled the lust of the flesh. You know what part of that was lust of the flesh? I retaliated. I got him back. I gave him what, And I could get ten of y'all, if that happened, to agree with me that he deserved it. You would justify my actions because of his actions, right? That don't make it right. Just because you agree with me doesn't make it right. The only thing that makes it right is that God agrees with me. And nowhere in his word does he give anybody permission to retaliate or to give what somebody deserves. Because I can promise, if he starts handing out what we deserve... It's bad news. We don't want, you don't want no part of what you deserve. So don't go handing out. So how do I know that I'm walking in the Spirit? I won't be fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. I won't be reacting in a fleshly way to anything around me. Keep going with me to verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. Listen to this. And the Spirit against the flesh, they're contradictory to one another. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. The harder you try to do what is right, to walk in the Spirit, to be an example, the harder it's going to be. It's going to take work. Any relationship requires work. Your relationship with God requires work. I tell people all the time when they come for premarital counseling, what you're about to enter into is another job. you got to work at your marriage. It's not going to work itself out. If you're not putting nothing in, you ought not to expect nothing out. It's like a bank account. 
If you don't never make a deposit, you're limited on the withdrawals. Amen? Your marriage is a job. Any relationship that you have is a job. Your relationship with God is a job. And a job requires work. You're going to have to work at it. Listen to this scripture. The flesh lusts against the spirit. The flesh is what's natural to you. If you do what's natural to you, you are failing in your relationship with God. Because what comes natural to you is fleshly. What God desires of you is spiritual. And it is so easy to feed the black dog, which represents the flesh, in that battle that's going on. If you want to fulfill the lust of the flesh, stay at the house, turn the TV on, sit on the couch. It's that easy. It really is. It's really that easy. But if you want to walk in the Spirit, if you want to fulfill the spiritual things in your life, you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to actually, I know, don't, don't leave yet, stay with me. You're actually going to have to open your Bible and read it on your own. I know that scares some of you, but you've got to do that. Because what's happening is everything this world has to offer you is evil, awful, carnal, worldly, fleshly stuff that's feeding the fleshly side of you. The only way you win this battle is to feed the spiritual side of yourself more than the carnal side of yourself. This world does not automatically feed the spiritual side of you. You have to work at it. You have to take it in. It's God's Word. It's godly music. It's hanging around with godly people to feed that white dog. He's a picky eater. He's picky, and that black dog will eat anything. Go home and flip on the TV and try to find, just find like the Waltons or Andy Griffith. Alright, which we often do at our house. And watch, watch, even during the commercials of a good, wholesome, spiritual feeding, the flesh is going to eat. Right? Right? Y'all look at me, y'all know what I'm talking about. Just go to Walmart as innocent as you can be, men. Go to Walmart today. It's 80 some odd degrees. Just go to Walmart as innocent as you can be and go far enough to get a jug of milk. Walk to the back of the store. And with your eyes open, your flesh is going to get fed from the front door to the milk and back. Amen? That's the truth, y'all. That's what that is, is the truth. How do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit if I'm not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. In order for you to walk in the Spirit, you've got to feed the Spirit. And the Spirit don't just eat anything. It's a picky eater. The flesh will eat anything. That's why our flesh is so strong. Because it gets fed all the time. Versus our spirit that rarely gets fed. You've got to work at it. This relationship requires work. You have got to work at it. If you're going to be Go to verse 18. I cut myself short one. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you are led by the Spirit, then you are fulfilling spiritual things. Then the law is irrelevant to you. Because God's commands personally and directly to you override the law. 
Not that the law don't count and don't matter. Does that mean you can go break all ten, all of the Ten Commandments and still expect God's favor in your world? No. What that means is if you are led by the Spirit, you don't have to worry about knowing the Ten Commandments because they'll be automatic in your life. You won't have any desire to murder. You won't have any desire to steal. You'll, you'll always obey and respect and honor your parents. You'll always love your God above everything else. You'll never want to idol worship. You see what I mean? When you're, when you're led by the Spirit, that doesn't mean the law. It just means you don't have to know it because it, it's going to take place. It's going to be automatic. All right, here we go. Hebrews 11.7. We're going in faith. We're going to be an example in faith. We've been an example in word, in conduct, in love. And in spirit, we're going to be an example in faith. We're going to find that in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is another one of those words that the Bible very clearly gives us a definition of. You can find that in Hebrews 11.1. 1. But we're going to Hebrews 11.7. We're going to look at what, what faith looks like right here. By faith. Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Noah built an ark. Now why in the world is that such a great display of faith? How many days had it rained Prior to Noah, it had never rained before, had it? The world had never seen water fall from the sky at this point. It had never rained. Noah was told to build an ark in the middle of a desert, way away from any water, when it had never rained. He's talking about a flood is going to hit. And people's looking at him like he is crazy. Somebody better check on Noah. He done got his meds mixed up kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Because he was out there. He was loopy, according to these other people. He's building an ark and warning people of a flood, and it had never rained before. Think about that for a minute. It had never, a drop of water had never fell from the sky, and this man says it's going to be enough to flood the whole world. They called him all kinds of stuff, y'all. I mean, I know people call me stuff. I'm crazy and loud and all that. But they ain't nothing compared to what they said to Noah. Faith. He stepped out on faith. Now, what if, and, and I think Kevin may have done this the last few weeks, what if God said, Noah, it's going to flood, you're going to need an ark to build, I mean, to save your family? And Noah looked at him and goes, God, I believe you, but he didn't cut no trees. He didn't drive no nails. And he didn't build no ark. He said, God, I believe you. He didn't have no faith, though, did he? Faith is when you put what you believe into action. You can believe and not have faith. Right? Go with me to James. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 14. We're almost there. James 2, 14. James 2, 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? 
Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith. And I have works. Show me your faith without works. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? We're supposed to be an example in faith. You can talk about how much you believe all you want to. Show me. Show me. Show me your faith. How do you show me your faith? Through works. Through works. Through putting it in action. If I say, I really have a lot, I believe in the guy that built this stool. I believe him. He said he's a good guy. He said he put the nails and the screws in it. I believe him. I don't doubt him one bit. And you say, well, have a seat. And I say, no, thank you. And you say, why? And I say, well, I believe him. He said it. Well, sit down. I'm not sitting on it. Why? Well, I just ain't. I just don't feel called to do that today. I just don't feel like that's my place. How much faith do I really have in this fella? Not much. I ain't willing to sit down there. Oh, but I believe him. How do I show you that I believe him? Huh? It's that simple. It's really that simple. You can say what you want to say. If you're going to be an example in faith, as Timothy was told, you're going to have to put it to use. You can say you believe that God loves you, but then when something happens in your world, how do you respond? Quit coming to church. Lay around the house feeling sorry for yourself? Or do you just keep on praising? Do you just keep on going, you know what, I trust him. He's going to make it happen. Show me your faith. Don't tell me about it. Step out on a limb. I believe God can do anything. Show me. Now there is a difference in faith and overcommitment. Johnny, if you climb up on this steeple out here, and you jump off and start going, God save me, God save me on the way down, that's overcommitment. That's not faith. There's a difference. There's a big difference in faith and overcommitment. Faith is when God tells you to do something and tells you He's got your back, and you step out there trusting that He's got your back. Overcommitment is when you decide you're going to prove it and go do something stupid and it don't work, like jumping off that steeple and start praying on your way down. That, that ain't faith. You're not displaying faith. Now, if God tells you to climb the steeple and jump off, he's got your back, and you do it, and he say, that's faith. But when you do it on your own and start asking God to get involved about halfway through, that's not faith. Put it to work. Don't tell me about your faith. Show me your faith. Would Isaac, would we be talking about the, the faith of Abraham if he hadn't have took Isaac up there? If he hadn't have laid him on that altar, if he hadn't have held that knife up, he showed us his faith. 
He showed us his faith. Last one, and in spirit. And in spirit. Not spirit, purity. We done done spirit. Y'all knew that. In purity. Being pure. There, there, this goes so many different directions that I didn't even write down the scriptures because there were so many. Because we can talk about this subject on so many different levels. You can talk about being pure as in sexually pure. You can talk about being pure as in your thoughts and your actions continually being pure. You talk about purity in the sense of you have committed yourself to one person and purifying that marriage, whether it be through your thoughts or your physical actions, being pure, being pure-hearted, being pure in your mind, being pure in your intentions. If you do the right thing for the wrong reason, is it still the right thing? There are a lot of people doing the right thing, but they've got the wrong motivation. The wrong thing is pushing them. They're doing the right thing for the wrong reason. That ain't right, y'all. That ain't right. Pure in your thoughts. Pure in your actions. Pure in everything that you do. Being pure before God. Now you got to remember, God's thoughts ain't my thoughts. God's ways ain't my ways. you got to use the right ruler. See, a lot of people's out here trying to be as good as Kevin. Somebody's trying to be as good as, I'm as good as Brother Nick, so? Wrong measuring stick. <laughs> wrong, I'm not the measuring stick. Christ is the measuring stick. So purity isn't dependent upon what I think. Purity isn't dependent upon what your opinion is. The purity is dependent upon what God says. Use the right measuring stick. Don't let me be your measuring stick. Now, what is the benefit of all these things, of being... Um, and we're going to close out right here. And that's the first time I've said that. Thank you very much. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. What are the benefits of being an example in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity? Take heed to yourself and to the doctrines. Continue in them, them being that list of things. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you, when you be that example, you affect the people around you. When you are an example in word, when you say the right things, when you use the right words, it affects people just as using the wrong ones do. When you carry yourself correctly, when you act like you're supposed to, when people are watching you or not watching you and you act the same, when you're being an example in conduct, that's affecting people around you. When you're showing that love in a time of trial, when you're handing out grace and mercy instead of what they deserve, it's affecting people around you. You have a choice. Either you will impact the environment that you are in, or the environment that you are in will impact you. One way or the other. You're either going to make a difference in this world, or this world is going to make a difference in you. You get to choose is the good news. But let me assure you of something. It ain't easy. The harder you try, the harder it's going to be. I promise you, it's going to be that way. But, according to Scripture, the reward 
is far and above greater than the battle. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth every bit of it. Y'all bow with me as we pray. Father and our God, we once again come before you just to thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Father, I, I can't tell you that enough. Father, just to lift up praises to your name, to thank you for being the almighty, the all-loving, to thank you for being so graceful and so, so merciful. Father, that you would bestow those wonderful things upon us as undeserving as we are. Father, I pray now that you help us to be an example in all the ways that please you. An example to all those around us. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.